Our heart sponsor for today is the 501c3 nonprofit National Treasures Artists in Residence. We are supporting them by offering an audience-requested masterclass on business plan writing. Over 30 days, you will receive daily emails with micro-tasks broken down over the month that will give you a complete plan. This will help you assemble your ideas, communicate your concept to others, and raise capital. Participants will be eligible for prizes that will help you polish your plan to optimize success. Visit AchievePodcast.com forward slash business plans with an S to register. The mind sponsor for today is upcoming podcast series, Personality Sleuths. Personality Sleuths will be co-hosted by Dr. J. Galen Buckwalter, whose career includes being the founding chief science officer of eHarmony and me, leveraging my experience as a venture capitalist and entrepreneur. We will analyze personality using a speech-based proprietary AI algorithm, along with the clues evident in social media and the popular press. Each episode will dissect the life of someone famous who gained the trust of many before becoming notorious for duping people, committing a crime, or losing exorbitant amounts of money, all while the clues were there all along in how they spoke. Tune in soon. On this episode, we have Alex Alvarado. Alex was born and raised in Seattle, Washington. He hails from a family of educators and is also the eldest of five children. He was homeschooled growing up and moved to California to attend Stanford. Alex graduated in economics and public policy. After dabbling in government, private equity, and a startup, he opted to join Oliver Wyman, a management consulting firm. He focused on health care, including time with the Kaiser Family Foundation, GIF, and Castlight. It sparked his desire to address health care problems from the private sector, which he coupled with a strong personal passion motivated by experiences in his life to found Daybreak Health. Daybreak is an online platform for teen mental health, including destigmatization via educational seminars for all constituents in the conversation, teens, parents, and educators, with a core focus on offering counseling for teens with licensed therapists. Alex, thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks for welcoming me. That's Really great to have you. I've been looking forward to doing this for some time. Um, you're a leading innovator in the mental health space, which is an area that I care passionately about. So um, I'm always thrilled when I can welcome someone who um, views the space uh, in a similar way. So uh, I always love to start, Alex, from the very beginnings of our, our guests' lives and their histories. So um, are you a native of Northern California? Is that where you were born? I was actually born and raised in Seattle, Washington. That's where my family, the majority of my family still lives. Uh, and okay. I only came down to California for school. So Okay. All right. So um, share with us a little bit about uh, the extended family in Seattle. Um, you, know, you have siblings. Um, share with us about your siblings. Absolutely. So I always love to start with my parents. Uh, you know, I owe everything to them. Uh, loving mother and father. Um, both of my parents are educators, which has a big impact on my story. So my my mom is actually uh, an amazing, an amazing woman. She she has had many jobs over the year, but always has made the time to homeschool all of us, um, all five wow. of okay. her children. So myself and my four oh my siblings. Goodness. Wow. And and so she's an at-home teacher, and then my dad is uh, a high school teacher. So he teaches um, 
high school Spanish and uh, and world world culture. Um, and so they're they're great. Uh, and then my siblings, of course. So I'm the oldest. Uh, I have four younger siblings, three three boys, uh, one girl. Um, and we're very close. Most of them are still up in Seattle. Um, okay. And they all have their their separate stories. So. Yeah, yeah, that's extraordinary. Well, that explains a lot. You're being the oldest of five and also the orientation around education. So, um, wow, homeschooling for five kids. I can only imagine the, the challenges that, that come with that. Um, as you were going through that, what were the areas that you really loved? What were the topics that um, just brought you joy to study? You know, I think the biggest thing about homeschooling that I loved was just this sense of independence and kind of getting to make your own way. Mm. Uh, my my mother was, you know, amazing. She guided me in the journey and and set a great curriculum, but it wasn't as, you know, dictated or step-by-step -step as um, you might expect in a traditional um, in a traditional school. So I really got to choose my way you know, if, if math was really taking my fancy, which it always did, uh, I would get to sort of dig a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that independence extended beyond sort of subjects and also into a lot of how I got to spend my extracurricular time, right? Because it wasn't as, I wasn't as boxed in in terms of you're at school from nine to four um, or nine to three and then extracurricular times after. Um, and that, that allowed me to do a lot of additional exploration, whether it was Taekwondo, ballet, baseball, Boy Scouts, whatever it was. Um, my, my parents always made sure to support me in that and give me time to do that um, because of the homeschooling. Uh, I, had the, I had the time, which was amazing. Yes, nice. Um, that's quite a set of extracurriculars you just rattled off. Um, taekwondo, ballet, baseball. Um, clearly, movement was uh, interesting to you and meaningful to yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Have you continued with some, any of those? I get some raised eyebrows about the ballet, but it, it was an amazing experience. Um, I have no, not continued. I, I have not continued any of them. Unfortunately, I wish I could say. Okay. I wish I could say that. No, I, I look, it's, uh, I have mad respect for, for people in ballet. Um, and then the male part or male role is, is significant and is arduous. It takes a lot of discipline and a lot of study. So uh, hats off to you. I think that's, that's really great. Um, uh, I'm just going to surmise that you were an avid reader when you were young. Loved reading. Spent yeah. all my time in books. Yeah. Okay. What were your favorites? Who are your favorite authors? Uh, from from my childhood, I mean, it doesn't nothing super inspiring from my childhood. Uh, you know, I, I I read the classic sort of detective stories, the Hardy Boys or um, <laughs> those guys, and and probably Lord of the Rings was quite, was quite influential on my my middle school years. Um, Right. You know, I, I've always loved that story. I think there's a lot to learn from it, nice. um, you know, and a completely different set of, of type of reading I do today. So. Yeah, yeah, nice. Well, that's great. So uh, you decided to study at Stanford. Um, tell us about that choice, that decision. That decision was a, um, it, it was a decision I made mostly with my heart. I don't know. Um, you know, to this day, I can't quite pinpoint why I decided that I wanted to go to Stanford. Um, 
you know, differently from a few of the other options I had. I think that I, I knew in my heart that I, I was going to love California and turned out that that was the right choice. And, and I really liked um, beyond that, that I think that Stanford represented kind of what I saw as a, as a, a path forward in history versus I think a lot of the other schools I was looking at were kind of like a little bit, there was a lot of history associated with them but I felt that they were they did things a little bit more traditionally and by the book. And um, I always kind of knew that I wanted to sort of do something a little bit more creative and um, on the adventurous side. And Stanford had that call for me versus, you know, your Ivy, your average Ivy League school. No knock yeah. on them. I think that they have a, an amazing place, but um, Stanford just had that kind of like adventurous sense to it. Mm. No, I, I can appreciate that. Um, you know, I always talk about my alma mater, Penn, as being one of the most entrepreneurial of uh, of, of the Ivies, and um, and for 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 good reason. Of course, I always ascribe it to our founder, Benjamin Franklin, and how uh, he has <laughs> interests in all these areas. So, I can certainly understand this um, being gra- you know gravitating towards more that that kind of openness or uh, less uh, sort of um uh, predetermined structure as it were um and so uh you chose to study economics and public policy um share with us about um what why you gravitated towards those areas yeah so i I think i always knew that what i was going to be doing eventually in my career was going to be some mix of social impact um Mm. united with business right um I, I've always kind of thought that that is the best way to, to make an impact in the world. I, I wasn't one of those guys who wanted to go be a politician. Again, no knock on that. Um, I just didn't see that that was going to be the path for me. But I was really, uh, I was really attracted by this idea of getting to work on the issues that matter um, and being able to impact them, um, just from the from the lens of business. So when you think about kind of how I how I decided to play that out at Stanford, it really was. I wanted to get the, some more of the economic fundamentals, the financial fundamentals that came with the economics degree, but then also really have the opportunity to broaden my horizons about what are the most important issues of today, whether it's healthcare, um, whether it's the environment. Um, and, and those opportunities really came through the public policy side where, where we got to do a lot of exploration. Nice. Yeah. I'm wondering, Alex, is there anything that, uh, from your growing up, from your youth and experiences that particularly highlighted for you the potency of, of social impact and or its value that really made you drawn towards it? Um, you know, I think, again, sort of the, my, my parents are, have always been a, a massive impact. And I think that when you think about, you know, I mentioned healthcare environment, one of the big places I left out is education in terms of where the where are the big places that we can make social impact, what are the most important places for us to be focusing on, and and certainly that was always in the back of my head is is education and and how my parents played into that and how big of uh, importance that plays in the in the future of our country and, and the world, um, and and then I think there was a small influence of of beyond that just. Uh, my parents always placed a, you know, a really a big importance on giving back. Um, you know, even though we didn't have so much, um, you know, it was it was always giving back, and whether it was money or whether it was your time, um, you know, volunteering. 
and so I think those two things combined were probably the most influential when it came to really wanting to make sure that my life was uh, meaningful and had some purpose in terms of giving back to other people. Well, that's fantastic. Um, excellent role models, clearly, and uh, kind of uh, showed you the way. Um, I was so intrigued to learn about uh, some of the activities you did while you were at Stanford, including this group where you led over 100 plus fellow students and raised something like $5 million for, for Stanford funds. Share with us about uh, that experience. Yeah, so Stanford has an, an amazing, uh, an amazing program um, whereby they used to run all of their their donations for the Stanford Fund, um, which they no longer do, unfortunately, uh, because calling has apparently gone out of style, and now they do all of their <laughs> campaigns through uh, through email marketing. Right. Um, but this this program was essentially, you know, an opportunity for a first job for. Um, a lot of Stanford students, or a way to make some additional income, um, calling alumni and asking them to give back. And so you you had this double good of that program, which was one, you know, giving some additional income to Stanford students, many of whom were on financial aid and needed that that income, and uh, allowing them to do something which uh, which gave back to the university as a whole, um, whether it was raising money for for more scholarships, whether it was raising money for our athletic program. Um, and so I started, I started that freshman year and eventually, um, I did not start the program to be clear. I started with the program gotcha. <laughs> freshman year and eventually by, uh, by my junior and senior year, I, I came to be one of the, the leaders of the program, which had yeah, upwards of hundred students. And over the course of, of my time there was fortunate to be able to work with a lot of students who each raised more than a hundred or 2000, $200,000 for, for the Stanford fund. And I was able to guide them in that. Amazing. Congratulations on that uh, phenomenal effort. Um, uh, you must have set some records or uh, have been one of their uh, key people. Yeah, I think we I think we did okay. You know, like I said, it's kind of unfortunate that the program wound down. I think it was it was really great. Um, yeah. While we had it. Yeah. No, uh, kudos, well done on that. Um, so after Stanford, there were a few different roles that um, you were in. One was with the Treasury Department, um, and then another with uh, Anthos Capital. And then uh, we were with Box for a little bit doing business development. So just share with us a little bit about those various experiences and uh, what brought you to each. Yeah, as you can see there, I think the, the common theme there is no theme. <laughs> you know, a little bit of time with the government, a little bit of time with private equity and a little bit of time with a, a startup. I was really trying to find my way. And, and actually all of these actually occurred during my time at Stanford. Um, one of the really okay. great things that Stanford does is create a, a nice room and opportunity for you to pursue um, these types of opportunities. So I actually lived in, I went and lived in DC for a few months and worked oh, at the treasury. Um, and great. then, uh, and then was able to work at Box during, during the semester actually at Stanford. Wonderful. And I was, I was, I was just trying to find my way, right? I didn't know, yeah. did I want to work in government? Did I want to work in Silicon Valley? Did I want to try the flip side of the coin and in investing in these startups? Um, all super valuable experiences. I definitely learned that I did not want to be in some places. Um, yeah, yeah. That was probably the most valuable, the most valuable part of it. 
Well, absolutely. So I, I would say, yeah, the theme was really just testing out and, um, you know, kudos to you for, for doing that and uh, exploring. Uh, and it's great that uh, Stanford was so supportive and nurturing of it. I think uh, more of us would have benefited had we tried those various things because uh, so many of us go down a path and we spend, uh, you know, two to five years before we realize, oh, I'm not sure this is actually going to be it for me. So um, I think it's, it's really wonderful. Um, and so it looked like post-graduation, you, jo you uh, joined Oliver Wyman. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So still, still, still finding my way a little bit. <laughs> Oliver Wyman is a, is a uh, mandatory consulting firm similar to your Baines or your BCGs of the world. And um, you know, what they offer a graduate is the ability to just build an amazing toolkit um, on the business side, whether it's strategy, whether it's operations, whether it's financial modeling. And I knew that would be incredibly valuable. I still wasn't quite sure how I wanted to apply. Remember this intersection of sort of like social impact in business. I wasn't sure how I wanted to apply that yet, what sector I would be in. And all around was amazing because they they gave me the opportunity to continue to cultivate these business skills. It's almost like going to business school and getting paid for it, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, and it allowed me to discover healthcare, which is um, which is my passion today. Right. Um, right. That's really where I first started working with major healthcare um, companies as our clients, and and just discovering that it was it was that industry was on the cusp of a digital revolution at that point in time, which has come to fruition today. Um, and, and that's where I decided that I wanted to focus on healthcare specifically. No, that's great. And it seemed like uh, as a part of that, you spent about four months with the uh, Kaiser Family Foundation, which obviously is very devoted to, to healthcare. Exactly. Yeah, that, was, that was a little bit of the turning point for me. Um, mm. That was an amazing opportunity. I mean, the folks down at Kaiser Family Foundation just put out amazing, really thoughtful content on um, all the biggest healthcare trends of the day, and so I had the opportunity to um, work with uh, you know some of the some of the leaders there, um, thinking about what was going to be the impact of at the time, what were the exchanges under Obama's administration that were just being rolled out, um, and how those might impact the private sector. So, really, just an amazing uh, foundation down there, and uh, and a great opportunity I had to learn from some of the thought leaders of the day. That was fantastic. Sounds like a really robust experience. And is that what uh, paved the way for, for GIF, where it seemed like there was a very strong healthcare focus while you were there? Yeah, so I think where I, where I landed at, at Oliver Ryman was, look, you know, I love healthcare. I built this business toolkit, but ultimately I was, I was hungrier to be a creator, um, mm. be on the ground. And there's just a... A, a part of what I love, which is actually being part of the creation process of that, that, that first creation process. And I felt a little bit with consulting that you're coming in and advising on something that already exists. Um, and so I wanted to try something where it was going to be fresh. And so that's where GIF comes in. GIF is a, was um, a employer uh, benefit solution that focuses on well-being. And it was a really early stage company. By the time I joined, I had the opportunity to be one of the first business hires and ultimately um, the first product hire and uh, and really helped them build a product there from the ground up that was focused on helping employees build healthier habits um, and, and doing that via a really smart 
um, a smart app that integrated and collected data on all parts of your of your um, health and well-being and and incentivized you um, along with your your fellow employees to really improve your health. It's mm. a great mandate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, what, 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 what was? Sorry, please. <laughs> no, it is an important. It's an important mandate. I mean, I think that one of the things that I learned at at, uh, at Kaiser Family Foundation is that so much of this country's healthcare still runs through the employer, and um, the incentives are really aligned for large employers really to make their 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 employees not only perform better at work but also to um, to feel happier and feel healthier on a day to day basis, and so. It was really a great opportunity to be able to, to go in and do something that that was so impactful with GIF at that level. Yeah, nice. No, that's really great. Um, and then just trying to piece together your next career move, it looked like Castlight may have actually been a client or was a partner of GIF, and then you ended up joining Castlight outright. Yeah, so, so Castlight was a partner and then ultimately that partnership culminated in acquisition. So Castlight acquired Jeff. Okay, there uh, you go. And that's how, that's how I ended <laughs> okay. up there. Yep. Yeah. And Which you facilitated that transaction, right? Uh, I was a very small part of it, yeah. <laughs> very small part. <laughs> I, I was going to say brainchild, <laughs> advocate. <laughs> advocate, sure, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to give myself too much credit here. <laughs> oh, you're being so exceptionally humble. Um, well, so then um, you stayed with them until about May 2019. And so uh, I'm guessing that's when you began thinking about um, starting your own company, which uh, would eventually launch as Daybreak Health. And um, I'd like to focus uh, more on this. Um, so... You know, I, I always find it fascinating when uh, really bright people with successful backgrounds, both academically and professionally, that point when they decide that they're going to take the plunge um, and all the factors that, that kind of feed into it. So where, when, what seeded the idea for Daybreak? When did you first feel like, ah, oh, you know what? This is what the market needs. This is my calling. I'm going to go do this. Absolutely. Yeah. So this one, this is where it goes from, you know, intentional and thought out to just a very personal, um, personal experience um, that has impacted me in a lot of ways. Uh, but one of the outcomes was, uh, you know, the idea for, for Daybreak. So in October of 2018, about six months before I left Castlight, um, I got a call from my mom and uh, it turned out that my middle brother, so the third, um, the third, the third sibling mm -hmm. um, had gone through a really significant crisis and, uh, and he had actually ended up in the hospital um, after an escalation that had to do with a very long-standing depression um, oh, wow. that for him had started at the age of 12. Wow. And, um, you know, mental health is a massive topic that impacts a lot of people, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get more into it. Um, but, you know, for us as a family, I think that it caught us all by surprise, um, which is part of the problem, is the lack of education around mental health awareness. Um, 
but it, it didn't cut us so much by surprise that we didn't know what was happening, right? We had, we had been, to the extent that his crisis was caught us by surprise, but we had been trying to get him uh, support for, for many years, uh, for at least five years leading up to that point and had, had not been able to do so because of a lack of affordability when it comes to mental health counseling, um, a lack of geographic accessibility, the fact that none of these providers work with insurance, um, and then ultimately just a lack of an ability for my brother to connect with the person who was um, sitting across uh, the room from him or, or on the phone with him um, because of you know his unique upbringing and, and the, the cultural components that he brought um, that he couldn't always find a match with. So, so ultimately, um, you know, that, that caught us all by surprise. Um, and obviously was a huge wake up call for me as a brother to be there uh, with, with my brother um, and, and really be there for him with, for the next six months and ultimately what has now been two years um, in a more supportive mm -hmm. role, but also just, I think really paved the way for me to start thinking about taking a step back and understanding how um, young people are falling through the cracks when it comes to our mental health system, um, exactly like my brother did and how we can prevent more and more of the, those 10 million young people who are struggling with anxiety or depression, just like my younger brother did. How can we, how can we help those, um, those people um, before, it's, uh, before it reaches a crisis point? So that was kind of a long, a long uh, explanation, but uh, you know, it, is, it is at the core of everything that we're working on today. So. That was perfect. It was uh, exceptionally heartfelt. And so I appreciate um, uh, your sharing that. And I appreciate your candor, Alex. That's uh, oftentimes not easy to talk about such sensitive matters. So, um, but I know you're doing it because um, you're coming from a place of wanting to be helpful and thoughtful for, for others. So uh, I do appreciate and admire uh, you're doing that. And um, gosh, it uh, really emphasizes the profound purpose-driven motivation that, that you have um, for what you're doing. It's, it's really exceptional. How is your brother doing today? My brother is doing better. So I think that the great thing about what happens after you go through an escalation like this is that um, you get a lot more support from the healthcare system, from insurance. Um, and I think that you, more awareness is raised in your direct you know, support systems, your family, your friends. And so he's gotten more support today. I don't think that for many people that mental health is not something that it's not like a broken leg where it's, you know, a cure that can happen. Um, but at the very least, you know, as I mentioned, he's, he's just got uh, more, more people and, and more backing around him today. And, and he's, uh, he's moving onwards and moving upwards. Fantastic. Well, in uh, no small part due to your significant support and, and help. So again, kudos um, for being there for him in that way. Now, um, the business of Daybreak Health, of course, is matching and bringing um, therapists to adolescents who are in need of, of support. Um, so uh, I think it's a, it's a phenomenal value add that uh, the company is, is providing and uh, some of the other services that you have, the ability to text and interact in between sessions is superb. The parental interaction is, is phenomenal. Um, I'm just curious about 
another area that you highlighted, which was sort of like family awareness and even detection. Um, are there some plans maybe, or um, is that maybe a different value proposition that might take detract focus from what Daybreak's doing? But um, what, what more work could be done on that side or, or what would you advise? So I, I, I mean, I think this is the, the hardest nut to crack. Um, I think that when you look at the data, it's no secret that this is an epidemic. Uh, there are, as I mentioned, 10 million teens today, about one in three um, that is going to, at some point in their, in their adolescence, struggle with a mental health issue. Those rates have skyrocketed during yeah. the, the, the current pandemic, right? So it's not a question of, do we have kids that need care? It's more a question of, can we get the education components and the awareness components to align for both the teen as well as the parent? And I think it's really tricky because you have, on the one hand, you have Gen Z, which is you know, more aware than any generation, thankfully, uh, that's come before them about the importance of mental well-being. But oftentimes Gen Z um, folks are, are, are being raised by, um, you know, by obviously by their parents who, who came one or two or, or um, sometimes up to three generations before. And, um, and that's, that is what's causing a lot of the awareness and education issues is you have a teen that may want and need to get therapy, but um, the family unit does not understand and particularly the parent unit doesn't understand. And, and it's not that the parent doesn't want to understand or, or has bad intentions. It's just that they weren't raised in a, in a environment that we have today where, um, where that education exists. So to answer your question, it is a huge part of our focus at Daybreak. One of the things that we do to help combat this is uh, we do free events um, classes or, or workshops, if you will, for parents. Uh, we try to reach parents actually through schools. And so we partner with schools to host free educational events for their parents um, on topics. We did one last night, actually, um, ranging from teen mental health during the holidays to technology and the impacts of technology on teen mental health to um, potentially even topics around what are some of the warning signs that you might look for um, from an anxiety and depression perspective for your teen. And so that is one of the ways that we are trying to destigmatize this idea of getting uh, support by framing them less as therapy or, or counseling and framing them more as educational seminars and workshops for parents. But I think we're still just scratching the surface. There's so much more that can be done here to change the framing, change the conversation around every every young person can benefit from mental health support. It's not something that you need to be um, there needs to be an issue with your child for that to be relevant. Um, change that conversation and then get parents the tools and the support they need uh, to make that happen. Whether it's counseling or not, honestly, uh, we just want parents to have the tools that they need to, to help their children develop um, better mental well-being. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it, it's so great that you're engaged in those activities um, because, yeah, there has to be creative ways to be able to get the word out or signal. Um, and, and parents are, uh, you know, engaged parents, I should say, are in the best position to uh, highlight or, or 
signal if there's something going on. But I imagine educators are also in a particularly good position because in some cases they're spending more time with with kids. Well, I guess um, not with uh, class segments that are 45 minutes to an hour, but but yeah, I wonder if maybe that's another access point training educators to um, be on alert and if there's any you know uh, behavior that may be flagged um, for further you know support or resources I think that's a that's a fantastic fantastic point I mean when you look at where the signal comes from you're exactly right that parents are going to have a lot of the signal um, and ultimately kids are spending eight hours a day in school whether it's with a teacher whether it's with their counselor whether it's with a sports coach, where a lot of signal is being given, right? Um, whether yeah. it's, you know, whether it's attendance, whether it's grades, whether it's acting out in class, um, you know, whether it's social cues during a sports a sports practice, right? That yeah. that these are where the signs first come, and the more that we can put the tools in the hands of people that are going to know. Um, which I, which I do think is the education system primarily, plus um, the family unit, the more that we can give them the tools to understand and then act on those signals, um, the better place we're gonna be. Nice, that's fantastic. Um, I wonder if, um, you know, are there any metrics that you share publicly about um, sort of size and scope of daybreak, whether that's um, number of, um, uh, patients that you have or number of uh, adolescents you're assisting or uh, I mean I'm, I, you probably are not disclosing revenue information but just wanted to get a sense of the scale of the operation or maybe there's some other way you could kind of describe how, how you've grown and then the the set corollary to that Alex is what is your vision for where you would like to take it over the next several years um, I'm, I'm happy to share what I can, unfortunately, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit limited in terms of sharing um, some Absolutely. of our numbers. Yeah, yeah, no, private uh, company, we understand, but whatever. <laughs> Again, not, not prying, but just you know, some yeah. some measure, metrics that can give us an appreciation for the scale. Absolutely. Well, I'm happy to share uh, share what I can here. So we, uh, you know, we are a, a a young, aspiring organization. Is is where I'll start. So we we started. We were founded this year, actually. Um, and we launched in Northern California. And um, what's been amazing has been the ability, our, our, our seeing the willingness and the excitedness of parents um, as well as schools um, to really start working with us. Uh, today, we, you know, we already partner with upwards of 30 schools um, throughout the Northern California region. Um, and each of those schools has, um, is either promoting our events to parents or, or sending teens and or sending teens to us. Uh, unfortunately, I can't share any metrics around um, our, our member numbers, but we are, you know, I think w- one of the things that we're seeing is just really amazing um, uptake and a growth uh, uh, from in, in parents' willingness to kind of purchase these services for for their teens, which is just, it's really encouraging and it's amazing to see. And and I think some of that's driven by the pandemic, um, parents spending more and more time with their kids as um, as they're staying at home with their kids and they're seeing some of these issues firsthand that have previously been 
really signals that only the teachers or the counselors have seen during the during the school day. Um, and some of it's just being driven, I think, by a, an increased national conversation around mental health. So we're seeing great growth. Um, and, you know, our plans for the future, I mean, really tactically, we want to bring the daybreak services more firmly into the, the Southern California region um, where you are, you know, we are seeing, um, we are seeing members down there today. Um, but we haven't done a focused launch there. We aren't, we aren't partnered with a bunch of schools down in Southern California as the way we are today. So we're planning that for um, Q1 of next year. And, and beyond that, it really is about bringing services to, um, to the rest of the nation, right? So uh, we'll probably do a few additional state launches next month, uh, sorry, next year, and then grow from there. Right, you know, you can't tackle the world as a seed stage startup as we are. So some of it will have to raise, wait until after we go through our Series A. But, um, but we're super excited about expansion. We see that this value proposition is resonating with schools, with parents, and with teens, and it's having really positive impact on their um, their clinical indicators as well as their um, their sort of ability to meet their goals and their behaviors. So. Um, it's kind of, it's proven out in a small way and we're ready to bring it uh, to the rest of the country. Well, that's fantastic. Well, uh, we've probably both read uh, Crossing the Chasm. And so that's uh, a key business book that tells you focus on your niche, master your niche and then move beyond there. Don't try to take on too much at one time. And so, um, yeah, and state of California certainly offers enough opportunity uh, to develop a, a presence and, and a mark and really refine the process to be able to, to do it uh, uh, on a national basis. Um, are there licensing issues that you're going to face as you go to different states? There absolutely are. So one of the things that happened um, during COVID-19 has been that licensing, state-by-state -state licensing has been relaxed a little bit, but we're expecting that to tighten back up. And so you do have to have a great provider base inside the state that you want to be serving members. And so that's just, that's one thing we'll have to keep an eye on is, is making sure that we go state-by-state. -state. And that's, that's one of the reasons that we're not already thinking about national scale today. Um, you know, one thing I did want to add, just kind of rounding out the last the last topic, you asked kind of where where is the vision, where do you want to go, and I think I yeah. I answered that in terms of geographical expansion, which I think is one one component. But I also did just want to say I think when you take a step back and look at why is Daybreak exists and where are we going, I think that the way we always talk about it is we are trying to help adolescents become happy, healthy, high functioning adults and um, and the way that that starts is is you know very small what we're doing today with counseling but when you think about the the array and bevy of services that we can provide to adolescents and their families to really help them become adults and that doesn't mean adults the age of 18 we all know that sure. there's a lot of milestones <laughs> that happen whether it's your first job right. or college that happen beyond 18 we're really helping people get ushered into that adulthood and have the, the tools and the skills I think beyond what the education system today provides um, to really be that that mentally well and high functioning sort of happy adult. So that's kind of where we're going. And uh, I don't want to get, you know, too carried away in that. And we are starting very specifically with teens and providing um, therapy counseling services. But there's there's so much that our adolescents need to really become the best versions of themselves that that we're excited to be able to provide over time. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. Well, I, I love that mission and that um, that vision. That's really fantastic. Um, Alex, I have to say, it's been such a, a great conversation. You've been very candid and I uh, really appreciate it. You know, what we talked about potentially even before uh, we came on on air, um, but I think is is just such a, a, an amazing point that, you know, I'd love to, to leave with is that um, you know, when you pursue things that really are meaningful to you in the way that um, I've been fortunate enough to, to be able to, uh, you know, take a, a personal negative experience and, and be able to, to turn it into um, a positive. I think that just is a, is a next level of, of meaning and, 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 and inspiration and also just, uh, you know, joy that you can bring to day to day. So I feel very fortunate that we're able at Daybreak to, to be able to help a bunch of uh, teens around California and eventually um, the country. And uh, I love that you identified this, uh, this combination of personal passion with doing something that is meaningful to you at scale. And I think that's so important, so. <laughs> well, thanks for commenting on that. That is a great way to, uh, to, to leave it. But uh, again, I think you really, um, espouse that, uh, represent that, uh, epitomize that uh, combination of those two. So um, it's, it's really a strong inspiration for, for all listening um, to, uh, to do the same in their lives. So thank you so much, Alex. Really appreciate uh, your time today. No, thank you so much for having me on. I, I'm such a fan of what you're doing. Um, and I don't think that the story I have is alone in, in the ability of finding personal passion. You've, you've had so many great guests and I've been so inspired by, um, by their stories as well. So well, thanks for having me. That's it's wonderful to hear. That makes it feel like uh, we're doing all the right things and it's going full circle where guests are inspired by other guests. And so that just uh, is, a, is a sign that the audience is, is as well. So thank you for, uh, for that, those comments. I really do appreciate that. Absolutely.